Get ready. Three, two, one, zero. You are listening to the Fantasy Joe's Podcast. Fantasy Joe's Podcast. Your weekly dose of fun and unique fantasy football talk with a focus on dynasty. And now, here are your hosts, Ryan Livergood, Trey Barrett, and Will Greenwood. We are the Fantasy Joes. I'm Ryan Livergood. Joining me this evening, as always, we've got Trey Barrett and Will Greenwood. Gentlemen, how are you? I have a question. Did you accept a job this week and at the last minute decided not to accept a job after all? You know, out of fear that my coworkers might be listening to me, I'm going to plead the fifth on this one. <laughs> Fair enough. Will, what about you? Are you in the habit of uh, almost saying yes and at the last possible minute totally um, hosing over your potential employer? Yeah, I was going to join a new company, but then I heard that one of the key uh, members of said company hadn't really returned fully yet from their from their sabbatical. So <laughs> I got a little I got a little bit of cold feet, and I was like, "Hey guys, I just can't I can't take this over. I don't trust what's happening." And so even though after I told him, yes, you know, it was about a month ago that I gave him the okay to go and to start, you know, start building a team around me. I was like, ah, Greenwood out. Greenwood Analytics said I can't take this job. So, so we're going to, yeah, obviously we're making reference to Josh McDaniels and not going to Indianapolis after all. We're going to ask our special guest, Chris Harris, that question, his reaction to that situation and more in just a little, little bit. But before we get into that, we're going to do, as always, our Fantasy Joe's Moments of the Week and letdowns of the week. And of course, this is a Super Bowl edition, so we're kicking off our Fantasy Joe moment of the week with the Nick Foles getting it done moment of the week. Uh, we're going to start with Trey. Trey, what is your Nick Foles getting it done moment of the week? So I don't know if you guys listening uh, have heard the audio and seen the video from where Nick Foles basically uh, calls the play that they run on fourth down when they're on the one-yard line. But we're going to play it for you, though, if you haven't. So take a listen. You want Philly Philly? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Philly special. Ready? Here we go, here we go. Tonight! Easy, easy! Kill, kill! Mine, mine! Let's go! Let's go! That's so great. That's yeah, so great. you know, I mean, I, this is a backup quarterback, right? That's all that everybody talked about, about Nick Foles coming to this game. And, and Coach Peterson, who'd been calling plays so beautifully for this team all season long, it's the, this pivotal moment in the game where they have the opportunity to score a touchdown instead of kicking a field goal. And Nick Foles runs over, and he says, I want to run Philly Philly. And it's Philly, like Philly. it's, it's Philly, so Philly. great. Because Peterson looks up at him with this moment of like, that's a great call. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. And, and I just thought that was great. I mean, how many times do you see – I mean, you, you, we're used to Peyton Manning and Tom Brady making play calls and, and changing their offensive coordinator's play call. But for Nick Foles to walk over with, with this trick play and suggest it and Peterson to jump on board and then for it to work, I think just further – uh, solidifies the uh, just legendary status. I don't know what is going to come of the rest of Nick Foles' career, but I mean, what an amazing, amazing moment for that young man. Uh, a night that he will never forget. I'm, I'm, I was super excited. I thought that that video clip and audio clip just put a cherry on top. 
Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that just a few years ago was uh, participating in 4-H in Idaho, um, and now he is a Super Bowl <laughs> champion. <laughs> well, yeah, and you, well, just real well, quick, I, there's also a video clip floating around out there of uh, Jeff Fisher calling Nick Foles to let him know that he'd been cut. I don't know if you guys saw that. We don't have that one queued up and ready to play. But, um, you know, <laughs> Jeff Fisher's like, I wish you the best. I'm sure you'll land on your feet. So, like, in hindsight, it was kind of funny to watch that clip, too. Like, yeah, Jeff, he uh, – He said that to every right. quarterback that right left his, his regime. Every quarterback, he's like, hey, I'm sure you're going to do a lot better in your future. And, and what do you know? Man, what do you know? Uh, Will, what about your – Nick Foles getting it done. Moment of the week. So, I, uh, one, I uh, got a new microphone, which is pretty stoked about that I knew uh, everybody wants to hear about. Uh, it was just, I was I meant to do it for a while and just been dragging my feet and finally did it. So I was pretty stoked about that. Uh, then to go to the more important part is, the one, the fact that Nick Foles went and called that play after Tom Brady missed his catch, I think was one of the greatest moments in football history. Nick Foles is like, hey, hey, Tom Brady, you can't, you can't catch. Like, come on. Watch this. Like, like, I think that should, play should have been called Hold My Beer. And he could have gone up there and said, Hold My Beer. Tom, there you go. Tom Brady, Hold My Beer is the play call. And he just catches it right for the touchdown. So good. So much fun. It gives you goosebumps even, like, listening to that audio. Uh, other parts where we watched, I didn't have a, a big, like, rooting investment in this, except for, I guess, kind of against the Patriots. So I bet some money on the, the money line and the over in this game. Uh, so that was really fun. Just to have something to cheer for and to be at the bar and to get into everything was, was good. Uh, yeah, so that, that was big. The other thing was I mentioned to my buddy who's not a big football fan overall, but like, you know, likes watching the Super Bowl. Uh, that Corey, I was like, Corey Clement, watch Corey Clement. Because I, I hadn't been feeling very well, and I did have like a couple beers. And so it was a little tipsy will being like, dude, you got to watch Corey Clement this game. And lo and behold, Corey Clement has a huge game. And that was really fun for me. So that's, those are my moments of the week. Yeah, my Nick Foles getting a done moment of the week. Kind of two. I mean, number one, just to toot our own horns a little bit. Uh, two out of three Fantasy Joes predicted Philadelphia to, well, at least cover. You know, So we said bet on Philadelphia, and they did. So that was good to be right on that call. Also, just, just Doug Peterson you know, making those calls, going for it on fourth down. And if you have listened to J.J. Zacharyson's late-round podcast this week, how Analytics won the Super Bowl, you got to listen. It's a brilliant podcast, and it talks about how the Eagles have been doing that all year, using analytics to become the best team in football. But, but just even though, like, we know that, like, statistically that's the right call in those situations, still to have the guts to do it, to defy convention and, and, and make those calls in, in the biggest stage, biggest game of the year. It was just special to see. It was just, oh, man. This was a game that was so much fun from beginning to end. It didn't disappoint. Um, I, I, as some people didn't like the Justin Timberlake halftime show, I thought it was great. I thought the commercials were solid. Just the whole Super Bowl experience was super. Totally. It was, it was amazing. And being here in Minneapolis too, I did a couple of events downtown and like, I got to watch my buddies like cross country ski race in the downtown streets of Minneapolis as an event, like while it was snowing and it was a gorgeous night out. And just the atmosphere here was, was great. The whole, the whole Super Bowl part about Ryan, you're right. Like the, as far as Super Bowl experiences go and the feeling around the game, I think one of the, the most fun times I had watching the game ever. So let's let's move on from our you know our highs to our lows, and we'll get into our letdown. And we have a number of things we could call the letdown of the week, right? I wrote down the Malcolm Butler not playing in the Super Bowl letdown of the week. Um, you could add Josh McDaniels totally saying no to Indianapolis letdown of the week. 
Uh, Will, you had a great one. The Tom Brady catch down of the week or lack thereof. Just, just Tom Brady catch of the week. Tom Brady catch of the week. So, Trey, uh, you know, pick your poison let down of the week. What, what was your um, Tom Brady catch let down of the week? What about the Kevin Hart Super Bowl moment let down of the week? Get him off the stage. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but that that uh, qualifies as a little bit of a, a letdown. Um, so for me, this um, kind of ties into a lot of the stuff that's been going on toward the end of the season here with uh, like Will getting super excited about the hometown Vikings looking like potential uh, Super Bowl contenders. And then, you know, seeing a couple friends of mine that are Eagles fans and just being around them the last couple of days and seeing how elated they are. And, and even one of them is uh, driving, leaving uh, to today and driving overnight to get to Philly to be there for the parade tomorrow. Um, it it kind of, it, so the letdown for me is that I don't have and never have had an NFL team that I felt like I was a huge fan of. I grew up in the central Florida area near the, the Tampa Bay Bucks, but was never really a big Bucks fan. Um, you know, I kind of gravitated more to the college football scene. And, um, but now with my uh, affinity for fantasy football and dynasty and, and growing love of the NFL, you know, I've, I've moved to North Carolina, so I'm, I'm working on trying to maybe develop uh, an affinity for the Panthers. But I feel like that I need to find a team that I can call my own, that I can begin to passionately root for. Um, but anyway, it, it, it makes me a little sad because I see people that are so passionate about their NFL team. So, uh, you know what? I, we need to find an NFL team for me to cheer for, guys. Bear down, Chicago Bears. There's plenty of room and the bandwagon for Trey. Come on, Trey, Chicago Bears. Listen, I, I think – I'm wearing I'm wearing an orange sweatshirt tonight, and I've gone on record as saying the Browns. that I do <laughs> like Browns. the Baker Mayfield quarterback experience in the NFL. So I think if Baker Mayfield, especially you heard it here first, if Baker Mayfield and Saquon Barkley end up in Cleveland, I'm going to order a Browns jersey, and I'm going to become a Browns fan. It's happening. Could be the worst decision I've ever made related to football, but it also could be a lot of fun when they're at the Super Bowl in seventy-five years. My kids, <laughs> I was gonna say, I can't wait till after the rookie contracts are up. My kids, my kids will probably love it. It teaches character to teach your kids to root for losers. So Browns would be a great family team. Yeah, I, I would root for losers, and it made me a better person. <laughs> I, I was thinking about this today because, guys, I know obviously people listening to the show can't see what I'm wearing, but I'm wearing my um, NFC Champion sweatshirt, the uh, 2006 Chicago Bears uh, NFC uh, <laughs> Champion sweatshirt. So the last time they played in the Super Bowl was uh, 2006, and they won the Super Bowl in 1986. So by that logic, we're looking at 2026 until the Bears are back in the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, that's not so bad, right? And don't don't undersell the planetary confection you have on your sweatshirt as well. Again, I know people can't see it, but uh, Ryan has a couple of stickers that I can assume, for, I can assume for, from his children. One is, I think, of a Saturn-looking planet, and then uh, I assume the Falcon 
extra large that was originally launched by SpaceX as <laughs> stickers. Uh, yeah, I, I, I forgot. Um, it adds a little little spice to my my old <laughs> sweatshirt. So so <laughs> moving on, Will. Uh, what what was your um, Josh McDaniels not going to Indianapolis letdown of the week? <laughs> uh, I think in general, I'm uh, being a consumer of so much NFL information. I'm I'm just really tired of uh, of kind of what's happening, all the drama that people make out of it. Is and Chris Harris would call it the echo, echo chamber for sure. But what I'd really like, I, I guess my basically, I just wanted to say my hopes for next year. Hopes are going to be Bell, Le'Veon Bell sits out the entire year to prove a point. Belichick somehow goes to the Colts after some nonsense. Malcolm Butler picks off Tom Brady in the next Super Bowl for the W. Uh, and it's like a, like ESPN's a site, you know, that's a nice like landing page. It's, it's, it's okay to go to. But I'm getting to the point where it's just too much clickbait uh, that, you're, that you're looking at. And so it's getting closer and closer to you're going to see I'm, I'm going to start, you know, really following Twitter harder and trying to be more involved on in that sense. Because honestly, I feel like you get less, less clickbait there. Uh, from what we talk about and, and what are, what you know what people post, and you can you can follow people you trust a lot easier. So a big a big maybe there, but uh, I do still have like a long term plan to be more involved on Twitter. But it's it's definitely my letdown of the week is just all that nonsense. It's just it's just horrible to read about. It's it's like it's, it's almost it's boring. But at this point, I mean, how many promises are we gonna have to listen to about your activity on Twitter increasing before it really happens? It's called the tease. I mean, I think I've heard it at least twice. And you're almost falling off your chair, but you're not there yet. It's getting closer and closer and closer. We'll believe it when we see it. Well, uh, uh, <laughs> um, do we get this- Carlo H- Carlos Hyde's age? Oh no, darn it. I, that's, that's going to be another, that's going to be my letdown of the week. My Tom Brady catch letdown. Cause I forgot I'm, about the Carlos Hyde age thing. I will fully commit to Twitter when we find out Carlo, Carlos Hyde's true age. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, quickly. Uh, my Tom Brady catch um, letdown of the week um, leads into the NFL catch rule. There's just no consistency with this, right? And it was, it almost, you know, kind of ruined the Super Bowl in a sense. I, I don't think it did. I think that the, the right calls probably were made with those calls with the Corey Clement touchdown and, and, and Zach Ertz. That was pretty clear to me. He establishes himself as a runner, and that was kind of a no brainer. But I'm just thinking about this like, the, the best NFL announcers aren't really sure what a touchdown is or not anymore. And that's bad. But it's really bad when NFL officials don't know what an NFL catch is. And think about the casual fan. I mean, I mean talking to coworkers that watch the Super Bowl and they're casual fans, they're, they're utterly confused. And it's bad when a casual fan can't sit down and understand your sport. So there's been buzz. Uh, I heard Mike Florio on the, on the Chicago Sports Radio the other day talking about how this will get addressed in the offseason. But Come on, NFL! That catch rule. Don't don't let it ruin the game. Don't, just just don't. Just fix it. Let's let's have something common sense, and, and let's get it done. A uh, potential kind of joke solution to this is if you guys remember American Gladiator from back in the day, they had a bucket that you could run the soccer ball into and slam it. You know, you'd have like a three on three situation. So you just put like a trash can at the end of the end zone, and it's a catch if the ball doesn't touch the ground and you get it into that trash can. Yeah, that's good. I'm trying to remember. Didn't they do like a when I was a kid, like in the in the 80s, that that show was on. Like 
Saturdays at like 1130 or something, the American Gladiators. Didn't they reboot the show and it lasted for like... Yeah, it was, it was Hulk Hogan and... Uh, uh, what's, what's, her, what's her name? What's her name? The female boxer, uh, Leila Ali, were hosts. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, the new show was horrible because it was more like uh, like wrestling than it was like the actual old American Gladiators where you had average Joe's like average like average shows but the average people going against these like roided out uh you know athletic phenoms which was hilarious it was hilarious it was such a great show i think it was like mike adamley didn't mike adamley host the show and it really was these guys were like these huge professional wrestler looking dudes you know <laughs> could have been like nfl football players linebackers and then it's like these little guys you know like 5 10 and 180 going against them it was awesome it was such a great show trey ever watch american gladiators in the 80s yeah oh yeah i definitely remember and I don't. I I wish I could remember off the top of my head some of the names, but the names of the the gladiators nice. were. Oh Maui! Look yeah. up! Look up Maui highlight. Cause he like he like tore something in his shoulder or something. He's like, oh, I went and I sat at the beach for a couple of days, got some rays, did a little bit of surfing, you know, had a couple of brewskis, and I'm good to go. It's That's so funny. good. They're all they're all just because like, you're like in the heyday of not knowing what drugs did to your body. So these dudes are just <laughs> like, it's great. Oh, and it's also a very, very difficult NES game. Oh, I never played the NES game. I so, recommend against it. It's horrible, but it's really difficult. <laughs> I'm trying to look up some names here. This is not. This is not going so. Oh, because well. you had you had like Blaze and you, Maui was definitely one of them. Uh, you had Laser for sure. Laser, that's right. Yeah, that now, now that sounds familiar. But it's also like the the. Uh, dodgeball they had blaze laser oh here laser. we go nitro nitro blaze gemini oh that was oh gemini actually gemini i think played for was a defensive end for the panthers it says ice malibu Ooh, malibu. Nice beer, malibu easy I, I listen to his interviews dallas and then mike <laughs> adamley you're right about that uh the, the, actually there was one more his name is case keenum <laughs> <laughs> hey is it just me speaking of case keenum i've never brought this up on the show but have you ever looked at case keenum and then you remember revenge of the nerds from the 80s booger is it just me or does case keenum look a little bit like booger from revenge of the nerds oh. i want to see a side by side here <laughs> that's so funny we'll have to, i'd like oh, to that- see a side by side hey malibu after you got drilled by that human cannonball, I thought, hey, there is no way this guy is going to live to play another day. You're alive. You're well. What happened? Did you go to the hospital? Did you get x-rays? Well, dude, it's like this. I saw this guy coming, and I took the most excellent hit of my life. The next thing I knew, I was on the beach taking in some cosmic rays, getting healed by Mother Nature, taking a little brewski, holding on a beautiful babe. I'm fine today. So no hospital, no doctors, just Mother Nature, huh? Oh, I'm a child of Mother Nature. What do you expect? Malibu, you are truly amazing. He took a licking, and he is still ticking. Sweet. Oh, boy. Chris Harris, ooh, na, na. Not a fan of Yard's book, Harry, ooh, na, na. He really hates a crutch argument, na, na, na. True. Oh, he hates the echo chamber. Yes, he hates the echo chamber. Chris Harris, who na, na. Yeah, Chris Harris, who na, na. 
<laughs> I'm tickled. <laughs> that, that's pretty much it, Chris. Uh, you know, a lot of pressure to do that song because some of your fans, they do such great songs for your show. So I don't know that that lives up to their standards, but we tried. Okay, so here's where I admit I don't even know what song that is. Well, if you think back to one of your podcasts a couple of shows ago, the one you did with Cousin Josh, the question and answer show, uh-huh. you were talking about how much you like Charlie Bliss um, and yes. what a big fan you are. So I looked into doing one with Charlie Bliss, but it just wasn't working. But Cousin Josh right. talked about Havana, the song that he likes. That's the song. Yeah. There you go. I remember him talking about it. So there you go. Now I've kind of heard that song in my life. Yeah, <laughs> so... Awesome. So, Chris Harris, welcome to the show. I, I, you know, everyone, I think we, we all know you. You used to work for ESPN. Now you've gone on your own, the little podcast that could, uh, the Harris Football Podcast, at Harris Football on Twitter. Um, for, so my first question for you is, is, how are you feeling after that Super Bowl? You're a big Pats fan. I'm okay, actually. Um, I, I'm, you know, so I'm doing my podcast once a week right now. And so I haven't really, you know, it's a topic that I haven't touched on yet for the purposes of the show. And I'm in the process of making a Thursday show. So you're going to talk about and, our Thursday show. Oh, but I don't mind. I'm just saying, <laughs> but it, it, it made me think about the question that you asked, which is like, how am I doing? Uh-huh. Because other <laughs> losses, the two giant losses in the Super Bowl, I was mad. I was like upset. If I'd had to do a podcast right after, I would have been not a very good podcast host. And, and that morning on Sunday morning, I had a conversation with my, my mom and dad. They're down in Florida right now. And we were talking about it. They're big Pats fans too. And I, I was asking them like, if they lose, cause certainly there's a possibility they could lose. W- will you guys be like as devastated as you were when they lost the perfect season or whatever? And we kind of, the consensus among the three of us was they've given us an awful lot of fun. And that probably having seen them, you know, miraculously win a couple times, it's probably going to be okay. Like it'll be annoying, but not devastating. And honestly, that prediction came true. Like that, that's really like, I was annoyed at some of the stuff that they did wrong and annoyed that they couldn't stop some of the good stuff the Eagles were right. doing, but it hasn't stuck with me the way the other ones have stuck with me. So it, I'm actually pretty good. I was able to watch that film again and not, not be too pissed off. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. It's, and it's now- a great game to watch. Yeah, and, and post-Super Bowl, we have all the stuff to talk about with the Patriots, too, especially with the Josh McDaniels news. Um, I know you're going to talk about in your show, which we encourage our listeners to, to listen to as well, but any initial thoughts about Josh McDaniels, what happened? I mean, truly, I, I'm not going to – I joke off the top of the show. I've already recorded the intro, and I joke that that's the, that's the big news that I'm going to talk about, and then I actually want to talk about the Super Bowl. I'm not talking about the McDaniels stuff at all. I'm like, this is it. Harris exclusive um, on on your podcast. My reaction, the reason I probably not going to spend too much time with it is because, especially because it's the Patriots, but honestly, anybody with this circumstance, it just winds up being goofy speculation about what happened. And that kind of turns into echo chamber light almost where now we're just assigning psychological mores and like guesses about where everybody's head is at. And in the end, yeah, McDaniels was, was pretty you know, obviously conflicted, but in the end, like feels like he backed out of a, an agreement and feels like he's kind of a jerk <laughs> to be honest in the, and it leaves the Colts in a really weird situation. Um, for the purposes of fantasy though, I think probably it's better for everybody in new England if McDaniel stays and, and in the end, I don't know how Andrew Luck's shoulder is going to be anyway. Yeah. And so I'm glad you brought up the echo chamber. That's one of my questions and I'll jump ahead to it because we're avid. This is a dynasty football podcast. We're avid dynasty owners. And my sure. question is, how do we avoid falling into that trap? 
Um, because let's face it, between now and, and rookie drafts, the NFL draft, we've got a lot of free time on our hands. Us dynasty owners, we're going to be doing trades out of boredom of nothing else. And we're going to hear these things, and that's going to impact the way we think. So how do we avoid falling into that trap? Like, oh, Josh McDaniels isn't going to Indianapolis. Now that must mean Andrew, Andrew Luck is broken and we, we should avoid him. What, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. How, do you, how do you avoid falling into the trap, Chris? Well, I don't. I mean, because nobody does because we're all human and we all, you know, we all live inside of brains and bodies and we try to put ourselves in the shoes of the players and then we don't know what their actual motives are. So we think about what our motives would be in similar circumstances and, oh, oh, this means something insidious is going on with Andrew Luck or it means Bill Belichick's retiring or it means, and some of those things might be true. I think the best lesson that we can try to all give ourselves is sort of, um, if it's not a fact, if it's not something that you can definitely reach out and touch, which in my case is mostly ones of being what I've seen them do when they've actually been playing, um, then probably don't base a lot of important decisions on it. You know, try to try to lean on what is at least somewhat empirically true. If there in the universe is such a thing as an empirical truth, which I don't know, let's not get into Nishi, but um, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, I, I just don't know anything about Andrew Luck's shoulder. And, and if I'm going to draw a causation line between McDaniel's decision and Andrew Luck for Dynasty, um, probably, you know, flying blind. It's a, it could be, but it absolutely might not be. And, and if I'm going to treat it as though it's a certainty, I am now conceivably vastly underrating Andrew Luck's Dynasty value because in three years we might all laugh at this when he's got three straight MVPs. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. Uh, so, Chris, I, I for those of the the two of our listeners that don't listen to the Harris Football Podcast, one of the things that I personally love about it is that you are different from other podcasts in a really good way, in my opinion. And as an analyst for for fantasy football, uh, you know, for example, you don't look at other people's rankings um, in the off season. You you come up with your own rankings. You watch a ton of tape and rely on film um, for your analysis. So, uh, and you kind of knock people that just look at the analytics, sort of. And I, my question to you, is that really a fair assessment? <laughs> because you talk a lot about, you know, this is what I see on film, and I, and I like this guy. And, and, and you know, I, I, don't, I want to know if you think that's fair. If I say, okay, Chris Harris, he, he kind of rejects analytics to a certain extent. Is that fair, or, or is that not fair? Um, to a certain extent, it, with that qualifier, absolutely it's fair. A hundred percent. It's fair to a certain extent. It's not a hundred percent rejection. Um, it's just that analytics means a lot of different things, I guess. And I'm interested to to know what you three guys think analytics really means, because it can mean everything from like what pro football focus does is phenomenally valuable. Awesome. And I think that probably fall, falls somewhat under analytics, even though the underpinning of PFF is people like me sitting down and watching the games and, and giving grades, which are certainly subjective grades. And then, um, you know, sort of trying to turn those into metrics that we can all understand. I love those. I love that stuff. It's just then if we treat that as objective truth, Oh, well, he's the 13th best guard and there's no other, that's just, that's the fact. He's just the 13th best guard. Cause I read his metric on PFF. Like that's where I think we take it too far. Um, and, that, and I think that's probably true of all football numbers. There's just a, a faction of folks out there who take it too far. I mean, Alex Smith was, in terms of quarterback rating, the number one quarterback in the league last year. Alex Smith 
how many interceptions did he have? Six, five, something like that, right? Yeah. He got traded for for not for nothing. He got traded for garbage, and uh, you know, all all due respect to the slot corner that he got <laughs> traded for, but the quarterback kind of an important, you know, kind of a Kendall Fuller. I'm you know, I know he's listening, and but oh yeah, um, he's a big fan of the show, the Fancy Joe's, right? <laughs> Right. Like it, it's, it seems to me that the chiefs are telling you right there, what numbers, what a lot of numbers mean to them in the NFL. If he was really as good as those numbers, the, the 70% completion rate that people say is so important, then I'm pretty sure they wouldn't, they wouldn't be trading them. And that's a small little example. And I, you know, this is about sort of the overboardness of thinking that one can really not even look at the games and, and look at, patterns on a piece of paper and decide whether a player's good which let's face it in other sports you kind of can do like in baseball you kind of can do that yeah you kind of know what a good player looks like on paper because of the interactions being much simpler and oft repeated whereas 11 on 11 chaos every single play you're never going to get a play that's the same um but i'm interested in what you guys think like how if you were to describe what football analytics are like and i'm not asking patronizingly i'm really asking like what how do you answer that question Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, that, that, that's a good question back in her face. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I, personally, and this is maybe a bad definition that maybe like a statistical correlation. Like if, like if there, if we can prove throughout, you know, multiple seasons that there's some kind of correlation between a key statistic. I, that's, I guess that's how I define analytics. Um, so yeah, a lot of the time, and, and that's one of my follow-up questions. I'll let, I want Trey and Will to, to answer that question. Um, because I, I realize the value of looking at, at numbers and statistics and also looking at film, but I guess being a guy that, you know, I'm not a former player or, or, or played a little bit in high school until I got hurt. I'm not a former pro player or coach. So where do I even begin to pretend that I know that I can look at film and say, like, I see these traits in a guy and he's going to be this great fantasy football asset. I just, you know, I don't know how you get there. Maybe that's just years of film study. So you know, how do we take that, you know, looking at statistics, the casual fantasy football player, and then marrying that with, with film study. Um, uh, but before we get into that, I guess, Trey, Will, what do you think analytics? How do you, how do you guys define it? Well, I, I think analytics probably is any statistical analysis that uh, attempts to bring some sort of correlation to, you know, uh, a performance or, if you can take statistics and anticipate future performance. Um, So, you know, like air yards is one of the few analytics slash statistics that I have kind of grown fond of looking at. It's not the end all be all. I think, you know, analytics, I think when used, for instance, on the, on the, on the NFL level, the Philadelphia Eagles used analytics in an incredible way in the Super Bowl. As, As painful as this might be for you to hear, Chris, you know, the, the going forward on fourth down, contrary, Chris Collinsworth would lead, lead you to believe that it's just this amazingly bold, you know, big ball decision by Doug Peterson, when in reality, it was a smart football decision based on analytics. Um, and, and so I think, but then you could look at the Cleveland Browns and uh, some of the decisions they've made based on quote unquote analytics. So I do think, Chris, you bring up a good point. It's a very widely used term. Um, but I think any time that you can take statistics and uh, the analysis of those statistics and use it to project future performance, there's some validity to it. But just like any tool, it's got to be applied correctly. Um, it's got to be applied in the in the right way. 
and and you can't get to the point where it's all you look at because then you're going to be um you're not going to catch the flaws you're not gonna, like you said you know you're not going to catch the alex smiths um of the world so i think it has its role um and and i, I i'm excited because it seems like the the analytics surrounding the nfl is only beginning to boom as far as growth and so i'm interested in 10 years to see where we'll be as far as analytics and and how we've improved on analyzing it it's always there's going to always going to be a few people that sensationalize it and take it too far but i think it has its place as a tool will you got any thoughts analytics for for chris well i'm not going to try to define the term <laughs> analytics anymore but it's what when i look at it and i'm looking for players to talk about or discuss or make an opinion on but all those, I'll take what you find in, in stats and analytics and in, what you, in other places and try to see from other resources if that's correlation is causation or if correlation is, you know, the equivalent of amount of murders in the United States, the amount of pirates in Somalia or something like that. You know, kind of those weird stats that you can find online pretty easily because it's not always the same. So to me, I think, I think analytics have a great spot in the sense of you should know counting stats on players for the most part because those are easy to do and easy to find. But then to pair that with somebody who knows what it means when somebody makes a cut a certain way and does something differently, you have to pair the two. So just saying, uh, you know, even we talked about when you talk about like receivers and, and their their production and their targets or their yards per target and things like that, it only matters a little bit. Those aren't the biggest like, uh, and I'm going to use statistics here, but it, it's not always going to be that just uh, that correlation that year's causation for the next year. And so, I guess my I'll just go with my approach here and kind of say. I think analytics is, is so broad and it's, it's becoming one of the buzzwords like regression, uh, which is a real thing. And it is a great uh, thing to look at, but I, I get, you get tired of hearing it pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, but overall, I don't know, long, long story short, the way I look at it is, is you just look at correlations year to year and then see if that, that uh, is causation year over year and then pair that with how players can progress and what other people see who are real, uh, even like NFL scouts and reading you know, like the dev report and things like that. I think are all super helpful as well. So I don't know. I think, they, I think there's a great place because, again, fantasy football is based off statistics. I mean, you get points. If you do like a PPR, you get a point for that statistic. That might have not done anything for the game. That might have been a terrible catch. Uh, but it, it uh, I don't know. It, it's the balance of it. Right. And the, but the issue comes down to just the nature of the game being so coach-dependent, play-call-dependent, interconnectedness-dependent that it's basically it's not quantifiable. There's, it's too, there are too many uh, ca- caused and or correlated thing on any given play to the point where, you know, our metrics don't have a way to say, yeah, but that, that hole that LeGarrette Blunt ran through that you're calling a great, not you guys, but like that somebody's calling like, wow, 27 yards. Like as a Patriot fan last year, having, you know, obsessed over every LeGarrette Blunt carry and, and seen that most of them <laughs> came when he's down, when they're up 20 and, and no one wants to tackle him, right? And that just can't get worked in. And, and it's my old thing that you guys have heard me say on the show of like, if the left tackle fell down versus if the left defensive end fell down, which can't mm-hmm. be replicated again. And I guess if we're going to just, if we're just going to try to, which none of you guys are advocating for, but if we're just going to try to uh, establish whether players good or not by the numbers, uh, and whether or not there's correlation and we can project into the next year entirely by the numbers, th- then I guess that person has to guess that in the end, the falling down factor is a wash. That half the time the left tackle falls down, ha- half the time the left defensive end falls down. And I'll just assume that in the end, the stat is just a reflection of the quality of the player. My experience is just that that's not true. 
Like there are just too many examples. I'll, my last ranking summit at ESPN, I'll never forget the Jeremy Hill conversation because it was coming out of his rookie year. And <laughs> I sat there like dumbfounded that we wound up ranking Jeremy Hill like 10th overall and just thinking, I know he had some high yards per carry, but, and, and it's just, he's not a good player. You guys are wrong. He's not a good player. And, and the folks who were more numerically oriented is like, he's going to lead the league in carries and he's going to average five plus yards a carry. Cause, cause statistically I just know it. And, <laughs> and, and like, of course, you know, anybody who is on any side of this quote unquote debate, which isn't really a debate because it's everybody uses a little bit of everything. So it's the whole treating it like the sharks and the jets from West side story is just dumb. Right. But everybody can pick out their thing. Like somebody else will say, yeah, but I saw somebody with a limited number of carries average 6.2 yards a carry. And that's how I knew next year that he was going to be good. Whatever. Like it's just, I, f- I feel like the, the, the pat phrase that I always come back to from my show on my show, my show is pretty much just pat phrases. Let's face it. It's just like, <laughs> um, is like, I don't think that past stats are the best predictor of future stats. I think talent is the best predictor of future stats. I accept, however, that assessment of talent is incredibly subjective and that makes some folks crazy. And, you know, they want objective um, criteria. They want objective inputs. And, and therefore, they go, all right, let's crunch. Let's crunch numbers. Let's make models. Let's build. And in the end, I just don't think that those models really, you know, can account for the wild swings that happen from, from game to game, let alone season to season. And my God, I mean, season to season, the NFL just completely reinvents itself every year so, to the point where often I think the numbers wind up being kind of useless from, from year to year. Right, right. So, so let's let's say we're on the same page. We we need to do more review of film. So, where does the average fan like? What do we do? Like, how do we how do we get into film review? Like, what like how do we even begin? Where do we where do we start? Because we can watch tape of um, uh, Sonny Michelle and be like, wow, you know that that Georgia running back looks really good. He's going to be good on the next level. Right. But you know, we've just seen some you know, some plays that, 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 where he looks good. And like, I don't exactly know what I'm looking for. So, so Chris, where, where would we start if we wanted to start? So, okay. Let's just say the difference between NFL and college is kind of a code that I personally haven't cracked. I'm not a great watcher of college tape. I'll, I'll, this is another one of my greatest hits that I say on the show all the time. Like I, I have a hard time knowing whether the dude is running against a, a legitimate NFL defense with, with great talent all over the place. Or if maybe that day the guy had a cold and he's going up against some future dry cleaner of America or gym teacher of America. That's what I always right. say. Um, so, so like this, this guest that I'm going to have on, on Thursday shows, Matt Waldman and Matt's entire job, he does the rookie scouting portfolio and his, you know, I actually asked him, we had a little five minute conversation before we started talking about um, the quarterbacks, the rookie quarterbacks for this year, uh, in which I said like, help, I, I'm not good at this. You know, I don't, I don't really know yeah. when I'm, when I'm looking at the NFL, I think I, I think it just becomes a matter of doing it a lot. Because I think if you just watch a lot of games and, and keep watching and keep watching Todd Gurley, um, eventually you go, oh, he does things that other players his size that I know are his size can't do. And, and, and I just think anybody with eyeballs and the time to do it will see that because it's apples to apples. NFL running backs are all running against NFL players. And I asked Matt, I was like, dude, I'm not good at this. Like, I, don't, I, I'm, I have a spotty record of going, wow, great, great running back film for Sony Michelle. And Matt's thing is like when you do the college scouting enough, when you watch enough college tape, when you really devote yourself to it, 
you have to kind of remove the results from it a lot of the time. You have to, you have to try to focus on kind of skills that I'm, I'm, I'm butchering what he told me on the show, but like you have to, you have to focus on a a pretty discrete set of skills that are not dependent on teammates Mm -hmm. that are not dependent on who the defender was. So, you know, total passing yards number for Baker Mayfield. It's useless. It doesn't tell us anything about him because he's going against those nonsense big 12 defenses that suck and play spread and are too easy to, and it fools us every year. Right. And they, so like, okay, then what am I looking for with Baker Mayfield? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm not really your guy for college in the pros. Uh, you know, I think what you're looking for is, you know, all the things that you know what I'm going to say. Like in a quarterback, it's going to be accuracy. It's going to be feet. It's going to be like uh, progressions and then just bald-headed mistakes that you're like, okay, he just didn't see that. Blake Bortles just does not see the field. He can't read a defense to save his right. life. And if you watch enough Blake Bortles film, you will know this. You will absolutely be aware of this. Um, and in college, I think it's a little more like, watching mechanics, watching the throwing motion, actually looking for throws that are on a line that travel down the field. It's, it is harder because the competition is so much more varied. Uh, so one of my big questions when talking about analytics versus, you know, counting stats and, sorry, not, I usually just use counting stats because those are the easiest to find and look up and talk about. But uh, I want to know like a player from maybe this year or the past two years as they're progressing, a player that you've noticed a a big difference in their film and somebody who has maybe improved more than you thought they would after watching their initial film when they were younger in the league, like a second year receiver who made a big jump to a third year that you didn't think was going to happen based on their second year film. And then what you saw on them that changed that, which is complicated question i mean no i get the question it's just it's, when they're open-ended like that you you instantly have to go through the rolodex of everything I'm like i don't know i can't think like who is somebody who i who i doubted who then i was like oh he's actually kind of good um i mean nick Foles comes to mind but maybe that's not for the right reason um because i don't know if i still believe in the, you know like the eagles gonna take nick, nick Foles to be a a starter like watching like yeah. watching film back in the day of like like an antonio brown type of player did you see when he was progressing through the years and what he was doing and able to catch on uh, a player of mine that comes yeah. to me that we've talked about too that I, I to me at least came out more of the blue than what i thought was like a robert woods and i know he had some big splash plays and things like that but clearly he was a significantly better player than he was before and on the bills he was he was you know he was nothing and now he could you know he has has a potentially bright future uh and if that's that type of player or you know people like that well, Sure. Uh, I mean, I'll talk about both of those guys. So Antonio Brown was, is interesting because I clearly remember his rookie year feeling like it was sort of a bunch of splash plays, but that he was awfully raw and making a bunch of mistakes. And, and then in that second year, I was sort of ready. I was ready to go on him because he just was, he seemed like he was really quick. Uh, obviously that was an understatement, but at the time I was like, yeah, I mean, he seems like a pretty quick kid. Like I like the offense maybe. And then he had the high ankle sprain and he played all through that second year with a high ankle sprain and he was super disappointing. And people are like, I don't think I was known for loving Antonio Brown or anything, but people very much doubted him going to that third year. And the third year is when he just went crazy. And it certainly did look different. All of a sudden, I remember very clearly doing film work at ESPN. They finally gave me some video for, for online stuff. Like I, they gave me like 10 seconds. You got 10 seconds a week, kid. Like use 10 seconds a week. <laughs> and so I remember doing a couple things on Antonio Brown trying to show people how like these wily corners would see this skinny little kid playing on the outside at a time when that 
wasn't really the norm. Antonio Brown's kind of the beginning of that generation and that, that offense where they were taking slot bodies, but they were putting him on the outside. And I remember very specifically watching him. I wish I could remember the corner because he was like, well, uh, who's, the, who's the guy who has all the kids? The corner has all the kids. Cromartie. Yeah, yeah, Antonio Cromartie. It was Cromartie and Antonio Brown. And Cromartie, like at the beginning of the game, goes up to him and goes, you know, what's up? You, you're Welcome to my world out here. I'm going to bump the hell out of you. First play, Antonio Brown just dances around him and Cromartie goes, uh, oh. <laughs> like, oops, that's, I can't. <laughs> And I remember um, Richard Sherman against Odell Beckham in his rookie year uh, being like, you know, who are you? What are you doing out here, tiny guy? And Richard Sherman tries to put his hands on him and Beckham goes right around him and gets a 40-yard gain. And the next play, Sherman's 10 yards off him. And when you see stuff like that, I think you're able to be an earlier adopter on players like that when you, when you go, when you actually have seen that happen and see what the defense's reaction to it is and go, oh, crap, like – I think that makes you like Alvin Kamara this year, for sure. For me, the second, I, I didn't really know what to expect as a, as a college player. Cause again, I just, first of all, there wasn't much film. And second of all, I don't think I'm great at that. The second I saw him in the uniform, I was like, Oh, Oh, oh okay. This is a different, different guy. Um, Robert Woods is a really interesting case. Cause now I think we have to ask ourselves, did he get better? Or is this really about Tyrod Taylor being terrible? Cause you guys probably know that I think Tyrod Taylor is pretty bad. And and I kind of think maybe this is about just being with an offense that's multifunctional, that Robert Woods, probably not a super special athlete. I think we know he's not a super special athlete, how he, considering how he tested. Like, he's fine. He's not a huge guy. He's not a super burner, but he's fast enough. He's not a super quick guy, but he's, he can cut a little bit. And as soon as he gets in an offense that isn't completely limited by how conservative the quarterback is and a coach that is willing to open up the playbook and a running back who's really good to keep defenses honest that sort of player can be pretty good probably going to be overvalued if they keep Sammy Watkins this year because I don't think he's like a crazy special player but maybe that was less about him changing and more just sort of obviously the situation being better you know that'll kind of piggyback into the next question who are some of the guys Chris heading into the next couple months you know we've been talking on our last few podcasts about uh, this is really not the off season. If you're playing dynasty leagues, you know, now is the time to capitalize on opportunities to buy low on some players. So who are uh, a handful of the guys moving forward, either in startups or in existing dynasty leagues that you see as, you know, for, like for me, for instance, a buy low just means that it's a guy that I think is going to appreciate in the next 12 months. So it doesn't mean that they necessarily have to be a, you know, eighth or ninth round player in a startup, but who are some of those guys for you that are your strong dynasty buys heading into the off season? I mean, I hate, I hate answering that question with names of players who tormented us this year <laughs> because, you know, it, it, a buy can mean a lot of different things. It, these, this is not a, these are not names where I'd go sell the house kids, like sell whatever you have to sell to get them. But I still believe strongly in Amari Cooper. And so if, you know, I think most people, most people with a dynasty mindset think of Amari Cooper as a valuable commodity. I don't think, I think dynasty players tend to be more sophisticated and have longer term views and understand what the, like, don't live and die with every week. Don't live and die with even every season. Like, try to understand the full sweep of a player's career. And so probably there isn't a ton of panic selling for, for peanuts for someone like Amari Cooper. 
but I still, I kind of still value him how I valued him before the season. I don't have a great explanation for what happened. I think he probably was hurt again, but if that's the case, then he's been hurt three straight years and that's not good for dynasty or anything else. And you know, uh, Michael Crabtree not being there seems like he's not going to be there. Maybe that's good, but they're going to sign someone else. Like, I don't know what happens if Alan Robinson signs there. Oh crap. Right. So I don't want to necessarily rely on that. And then of course, Gruden factor and maybe Derek Hart as good as we thought. And so I get the constraining factors and how unbelievably frustrating someone like Cooper was. Um, but I, I just think he's an otherworldly talent. I can't get over it. And I still think he's probably a little bit undervalued. I'll, I'll, and then I'll say the receivers, like the first round receivers from last year that we, everybody kind of wigged out about. And I got yelled at for not calling Corey Davis, the number one player in dynasty last year for a rookie draft. And um, <laughs> as much as I like Corey Davis, like I, I still probably prefer the running back. Um, I just preferred the wrong running back. I should have preferred Alvin Kamara, but like if I, so Corey Davis, again, in a dynasty world, probably is not being undervalued. It's probably, he's probably being fairly valued right now. Um, but I still believe in him and probably, I think he's going to be a monster and I'll say John Ross, like I, again, in, in redraft next year, John Ross is going to be free in dynasty. He's clearly not free because, uh, I see you arm pumping. So that's good. <laughs> I feel yeah. like just, I think We've all been burned by John Ross in I year try one. Try not to bark into the microphone. Cause I am everywhere, Chris. <laughs> I, I look well, so, too. It, it's, it's been a tough go. Just like thinking. Yeah. Voting yeah. Still. I, I, so like, again, though, I, he's not going to be, he's going to be free in redraft next year. No question about it. I don't, I just don't, you know, the dynasty leagues that I'm in, the people who took Ross are pissed and they're worried and they didn't, weren't loving hearing that Marvin Lewis is coming back because it feels like what mostly was going on with John Ross last year was stuff that we can't know about. The kid's not even playing. And once he's even healthy, like we're just not going to know this just very well could have been, the kid being an a-hole kind of and needing to sit for a year. Right. And just like, that's the stuff that we're just never going to know. Um, and, and I don't think he's durable and I don't love Andy Dalton, but I just think that kind of speed I still want on my team. And, and especially for dynasty, like give me five years of that kind of speed. I think eventually it's going to work its way into something good. Um, the, the one of that group, I was going to sort of address those three, like Mike Williams never excited me as a prospect, I'm not going to throw him under the bus because his back hurt last year. I just, he doesn't thrill me as a prospect. So of the three, like I'm probably, I want Corey Davis, but I accept that he's probably too expensive for me to get him. I'm willing to pay for John Ross. And I think Mike Williams, I'm probably leaving alone. Yeah, that's cool. It's, it, you know, we've talked, we talked a lot about John Ross um, last year, even, even leading into the, we, and <clears throat> you know, Ryan kind of turned Will and I on to uh, Matt Waldman and his, rookie scouting portfolio and, and between Matt Waldman and um, Nick Whalen, you know, we, that's kind of one of those things like, you know, we're, we're the, the fantasy Joes. So we are just regular guys that play in dynasty leagues that love this and said, Hey, let's start a podcast. So we don't have a lot of clout. We don't, you know, we both work oh, both all three of us work full-time jobs. And so this is a hobby for us. So we kind of rely on guys like that, that that's their specialty. And um, I really like some of the things that, you know, coming out about John Ross is that he was being kind of characterized as just a speed guy, but he really can run routes. He, he, got, he can do some of the little things well that he's going to need to do at the next level. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to see him get a shot. So I'm, I'm, that, was, that was where the arm pumping was coming from. He's a guy I've acquired in a few spots, and, and I've been given a hard time about it in, in one of my leagues. Was he cheap to to acquire? Yeah. Like in those, one in of these them he was a throw in. Like one, it's a one is a league I commission. I it's a super flex league, and I gave Ingram to a contender for um, 
Mahomes and John Ross. So it was really a Mahomes for Ingram, uh, Mark Ingram deal. And um, I, mm-hmm. Ross was the throw in, but for me, I was like, wow, that's huge to get that kind of potential as a throw in. Yeah. Um, so I agree with that. Hey, hey, Chris, I've got a question for you. What about uh, Zay Jones, another rookie wide receiver, you know, stuck in the Buffalo situation, uh, you know, and it turns out I, I what a, he had some kind of injury. He, he came out and yep. said he had a, I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, I think a shoulder. Right? Yeah, yeah, for Ross is a shoulder. Um, so uh, I, can, I can look it up, but what do you, th- any thoughts on Zay Jones? Do you do any film study on Zay Jones? I've done, yeah, I've, I mean, I've watched every snap of Jay Jones from, from the NFL. It, it's easier to talk about these guys after their first year in the league, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> because now I've, now I've, like, I did, I mean, how could you trust that off that college offense, that East Carolina offense that was losing by 30 in every single game and him setting a record for the most catches ever because they needed 200 yards a game from him to even be, you know, like, what, do you know what he can do? Yeah. Like, I think we know that he tested out athletically at, at a fairly incredible level and certainly has the bloodlines his dad is robert jones his uncle is jeff blake like there's certainly um you know I, I'm, I'm tempted to say that a player with with bloodlines like that uh, you know you maybe start to rule out character problems that's not true maybe you start to rule out like worrying about whether he's a professional that's probably not true i mean brashad perryman bless his heart but like his dad was awfully good in the nfl and i'm starting to believe brashad perryman's never going to be anything so i'm probably less considering that now for Zay Jones after seeing him for a year. Um, I think, I think he's kind of a, he's probably a fairly valued player because what I saw from him was, was limited, but again, like, so was Robert Woods. And I think this comes down to my God, does Buffalo need another quarterback? They just need to have someone throwing the ball. You almost can't scout these guys because the quarterback is so freaking conservative and just won't let the, it won't, they, he won't throw receivers open. Tyrod Taylor just won't do it. And it's why he's not going to be their quarterback next year. I'm, I feel pr- fairly safe in saying. And, and almost any other, like, don't get Bortles and we're good. Like, almost any other situation, it's going to be better for every, all those receivers, like Zay Jones and everybody else. I, Jones, to me, looks like a, a clearly an outside receiver. He's not, in, he's not an incredible leaper, but I think he's got some hops. He's not incredible burner, but I think as a, like a number two type receiver, uh, pretty good. I think just in general, I would view him as kind of a hold and maybe a bit situation dependent. And for Dynasty, those guys are a little scary to, to heap too much cash on, right? Because you, if the situation changes suddenly, you've got a useless guy for three years. Uh, but in the right situation, it could be sort of a nice hold. You know, another guy I'd love to hear you comment on. This is a, a guy that I think has been a little divisive. Um, he was a guy that I was a little higher on than a lot of people coming into last season as a rookie, and that's Juju. Um, and, and I know right now mm-hmm. there's a lot of this, you know, talk of him um, playing behind Antonio Brown. He's always going to be a number two receiver. But then on the flip side of that coin, you know, he's only 20 years old. So what's your what you saw out of Juju this year, other than him just being an, an incredible social media, you know, just a fun fun guy to follow <laughs> and a fun guy to have on your team. What, what do you think about him moving forward as a, as an NFL wide receiver? I wish I'd thought of him when I got the, when you guys asked me the question, somebody who you, who you feel like you miss, uh, you know, you missed on tape wise. And I'm not even talking in college. I'm talking like early in the rookie season. I felt like I, I feel like in retrospect did a poor job of assessing what he was doing on the field in that first month plus whatever. I mean, he came into the season, not entirely healthy and, basically is a slot receiver. And I, I think, you know, 
maybe he has to stay in the slot, but I kind of maybe think not. I mean, that may be partly out of necessity. I felt like the usage when Martavis Bryant was suspended was a little more varied. Um, I think there is very clearly, even though the Steelers still haven't captured it yet, there is very clearly room for a second receiver to be awesome for fantasy, even with Antonio Brown's there. I just think it's just enough of a prolific passing offense. You're going to get the off weeks from the entire offense. You're going to get the Le'Veon Bell weeks. But, you know, I think 10 games a year, there ought to very much be a a case to be made that the secondary guy, the second guy after Antonio Brown, should at least be a fantasy starter. And, uh, And Juju sort of, Proved to me that he's a much better athlete than I gave him credit for. Uh, I think we know that he didn't test out as a as a spectacular athlete, but in the end, I think the game film now proves kind of beyond a shadow of a doubt. I I go back to that play at the end of the Patriot game, where they've come back, they've thrown it to Gronk a million times. The Steelers have basically no you know no timeouts and a minute to go and. The Patriots are going to do what the Patriots do. They're going to play cover two and sit back and let you catch it and tackle, and you're probably and you're probably dead. And yes, I, I think who it might have been um, Devin McCourty who took the bad angle, but you know, just a little flare pass, and all of a sudden, Juju Smith-Schuster is running by himself down the left sideline in a manner that I don't think a lot of young kids, especially the youngest kid in the NFL, would have been doing. And cuts cuts inside and gets 20 extra yards it was all it was all prelude to the disaster non you know the vance mcdonald non-touchdown was it jesse james or vance? it was jesse james yeah uh just right it was jesse james yeah um but that play just sort of solidified where i had talked myself around to that i had been sort of very very patronizing and un, unreal unaccepting of what was happening like thinking oh it's just a couple of red zone catches and like oh he's wide open and blah 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 and in the end i'm like no i think he's just a player one of those guys who i think heinz ward is the right is sort of the right uh comparison was heinz ward ever yeah, I like that. an amazing athlete or you know ever the fastest dude or the highest leap or anything like that no he's just always in the right place at the right time and i start i get that vibe off of juju i like that so like so a year from now, uh, Juju will be advertising for chocolate milk. <laughs> yeah, chocolate the Heinz, milk. Heinz Ward path. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe like bicycle locks, right? That that's possible. <laughs> yeah. uh, guys, any other last questions? Do you, we want to ask Chris about Derrick Henry before he goes? Or uh, <laughs> I would say just listen to Chris's show about Derrick Henry. He's such a polarizing player, yeah. and I think it's great to get that side of everything in. When, even when you listen to other guys, you know, like Nick Whalen, uh, specifically talking about him and, and you get a different opinion, it's, it's really interesting to hear and, and to wait. And so you can kind of make your combined opinion about what you think of a player. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, do, I, don't, I, I would hate for people listening to this to say, oh, and, and Harris <laughs> hates Derrick Henry and thinks he's a bust. Because <laughs> that's not how I feel. But how I feel is basically he's a limited player who can do a couple yeah. of things that fantasy owners are going to love right? He, he's huge. So at the very least, he can be Brandon Jacobs and score 10 touchdowns. That would be awesome. Yeah. And then, um, and then also he has this thing where if you let him turn his shoulders and get going and let him get up ahead of steam, you're in trouble. Like he can go 50 easy. And yeah. some of the stats from last year were just late garbage time, like running 80 yards and suddenly it looks like he has a big game. But the fact that that's a possibility in any given week when you start him is awesome. And Brandon Jacobs did not ever have that. Right, Rashad Jennings, who was 20 pounds lighter, did not ever have that. So the idea that you've got a guy who, with, with the body to do that, to do those two things, which are very valuable for fantasy, is great. My concern about Derrick Henry is you're just gonna you're gonna get four weeks 
where you get 10 carries for 18 yards because he's not going to make a lot happen on his own. And I've seen numbers like uh, NFL.com is trying to sort of start to talk about um, like uh, uh, actual miles per hour speed that a running back is traveling as they hit the line of scrimmage, as it were. And I've seen numbers that say, Derrick Henry, most explosive player in the league, like unbelievable speed. (laughs) And I'm like, dude, all I can tell you is when he gets his shoulders going towards the sideline, he looks like, like Garrett Blunt, he lo- he is a slow little bag of potatoes, <laughs> and and it just worries me that you know, I, like you saw what it looked like against the Patriots in that playoff game, and there's a couple of moments where it's it's okay, but you just go, oh, was the same guy from the Chiefs game? Because he looked awesome against in the second half against the Chiefs, and then you know against the Patriots, you're like, oh, he's just all you have to do is kind of be in his way, and uh, and I I fear that that's going to happen on occasion. And so I'm, I'm glad LeGarrette Blount got brought up the, uh, there quickly because uh, sure. doing some quick Greenwood analytics, uh, wherever LeGarrette Blount sign, signs, I will, be, I will be betting on quite a bit to win the Super Bowl <laughs> in 2019. Yeah, that's some good use of analytics right there. I mean, and, Green, and the, Greenwood analytics. <laughs> the the, the, the LeGarrette Blount comparison is fair in terms of size and in terms of short touchdown potential if the offense takes off and is great. But of course, where it's not fair is that LeGarrette Blunt is slow no matter where he's running. He's slow if he's, you know, got a head of steam in 30 yards. <laughs> he's still slow, whereas Derrick Henry's legitimately damn fast. I mean, he, he outruns a safety if once he gets a full head of steam. Uh, it's just, yeah, I, I, I don't see a lot of hip torque, as they say, like the, the thing that you want to look for. <laughs> a lot of putting your foot in the ground and being able to change direction. It's just, it's painful. This is great, Chris. I mean, really, yeah, thank really you, thank you, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was really fun to talk to you guys. All right, anytime. Hopefully we can have you back sometime. It's, yeah. it's awesome. Thanks, man. Really appreciate it. So thanks again for listening to another episode of the Fantasy Joes. We want to again thank special guest Chris Harris of the Harris Football Podcast for joining us. We want to let you know you can contact us directly at thefantasyjoes at gmail.com or at FFJoes on Twitter. Your feedback is welcome. Please let us know what we're doing and what you want from us. We come at you weekly on Fridays with new episodes, but be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And leave us a review, preferably if it's a positive one. You can find us on Twitter. Trey is at Trey Barrett. Will is at FantasyJoe underscore Will. And I'm at Librarian. On behalf of Trey Barrett and Will Greenwood, I'm Ryan Livergood, and we are... Fantasy Joe's. Joe, 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 Joe. Fantasy Joe's. Fantasy Joe's. Fantasy Joe's. Once there was this guy who didn't believe in YPG, and then he finally watched film. He couldn't. Believe that ESPN ranks. (laughs) (laughs) That's freestyle.